Thank you for your call upon our lives. Thank you, Lord, for what you intend to do with us and through us. We say, God, be magnified. Grant us insight once again, Father, into your word. Your word is life, your word is spirit. Cause us to receive it in the spirit that may manifest in the flesh. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be glorified, Father, and be magnified. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Okay, we continue with our study on what you will believe. We're dealing with the issue of total annihilation, eternal torment, or total reconciliation. So far, I think it's an exciting study for those of you who have been following. This is part 12, such a long study, and we're going to continue. Now, don't forget the text. We're talking about those things which are noble, worthy of praise, and of virtue. The Bible says we should think about them. This Philippians 4, verse 8. Amen. I would like us, as usual, to read the text this day, which is from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1, and uh, 3 to 7. I'd like us to go there. Because, you know, Bible studies has to do much more with teaching. So let's look at something in the book of uh, 1 Timothy. Praise God. And uh, I'm reading from verse 3. Are you there? Want me to see if you are there, say amen? Okay. Verse 3. As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Amen. Hallelujah. That thing sounds strong to me. It simply means if you truly have somebody who maybe was raising you, you are supposed to teach what he taught you. I don't know. Does it sound like that? Okay. Praise the Lord. Unless you have no faith in that man. Now, give heed, not give heed to fables and... Uh, Endless genealogies which cause dispute rather than godly edification which is in faith. That means there are some teaching that edifies and other doesn't. Is it clear? Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. For which some have strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. I do talk. Desiring to be teachers. And that's serious. Desiring to be the teachers of the law. Understanding neither what they say. Nor the things which they have found. I would like us to stop there. You see the last verse is strong. To my mind. It means there are some people who are desiring to be teachers. But do not even understand what they are teaching or what they claim to be teaching. 
Hallelujah. Desiring to be teachers. In other words, they were not called teachers, but they desired to be teachers. And you just desire to be because you are not called to be. Uh, if you understand what the Lord shared with others, the anointing to be will not be there. Is it clear? Did you get the picture there? It is not the issue of desiring, it's the issue of what can enable you function as a teacher. It is what makes you a teacher that gives you the understanding of God's word to be able to teach it. Now, these people are desiring to be teachers, but they do not understand what they are teaching, neither what they claim to be teaching. Now, if you do not understand what they are teaching, how are you expecting the man you are teaching to know anything, even about what you are teaching? Is anybody understanding what I'm talking about? I think these are the problems we are having in the church. We have too many teachers who are desiring to teach and do not understand what they are teaching. My servant was also having an encounter on the Friday. One of the bishops in town is already writing a book about the Antichrist. The mystery of the Antichrist. That's the title of the book. You understand? Talking about EEC, talking about you know all oh, those cheap things, cheap things that have no foundation in God's word, and we took him up, and I'm sure he was embarrassed. We made him to understand you do not even know what you are talking about. Talking about Antichrist to come from somewhere. I mean, they desire to teach what they do not know. The reason is because they have refused to follow what is in God's word. They are teaching from their perspective or the structure of their theological understanding. Amen. So this thing is not just what is happening in our days. And say even in the days of St. Paul, these things were there. People want to be teachers. There are things you don't want to become. It has to be given to you by who? By God. He calls them to be pastors, to be apostles, to be teachers and prophets. He didn't call everybody to be everybody. Amen. Hallelujah. So it's not a matter of choice. The Bible says the spirit distributes, it gives according to how he wills. So it is what he gives to you that enables you to function in that office. You can jump from one office to the other. God as a pastor, you want to do a teaching job. You mess up the whole thing. Because what can enable you to understand the scripture is not given to you by God. Anything outside of grace is already grass. Amen. <laughs> hey, hallelujah. Now get down to your outline. Praise God. The apostate made by Paul to Timothy, though actually applied to those who were teaching the law, is still very valid to us in our days. I'm sure you understand what I mean by that. Very, very. It's the same thing. There are people who are desiring to teach what they do not know. They just have the desire. Want to teach, establish school, theological school, you know, everything. You understand what I mean? They want to be teachers, but they do not understand what they are teaching. And it's unfortunate. And every student or soldier in the 
don't guarantee him or her knowing anything. It's not possible. St. Paul even said the standard here, teach those things which I taught you. Do not teach any other except what I taught you. He was sure of what he taught. And every servant must be as his master. Bible says so. Glory to God. Now, the indictment is that they do not know what they are trying to teach, though they sincerely desire to be teachers. Hallelujah. They sincerely desire to be teachers. One major thing about the teaching ministry is that it actually ought to establish the people, causing them to understand the mind and desires of God or dealings of God. Amen. That is one of the major functions of the teaching ministry. Praise the Lord. You know, the evangelist, you see, the church is just in a competitive atmosphere. And that is why we are fools. The Bible says they are compared themselves with one another. You understand that? God has given this gift into the body of Christ. You have the apostle, you have the prophet, you have the venue, you have the teachers. Let everybody function accordingly. And there's going to be edification. The evangelist goes out to bring the people and then the pastors nourish the people, give them, you know, faith. You understand that? Then the teacher comes in and establish the people in God's word. Praise the living God. I'm sure you know the ministry of our Priscilla and Aquila, what they did to the great Apollos. They expanded the word of God. They were teachers, apostolic teachers. Expanded the word of God unto the mighty man. Who knew so much about only the doctrine of who? Of John the Baptist. That is what teachers do. They establish you. They get you to understand. If the things you are reading, the teacher expands it and makes you to understand it. It's not the work for the pastor. It's not the work for the evangelist. It's not the work of the prophet. Except the prophetic anointing of the new order. Are you still there? But everybody wants to be a teacher. And why is this so? Because everybody thinking about his only two congregation. Amen. Praise the living God. And so the children of God are not established. They are not established. Now. But what do we see today? A group of people. Trying to do the teaching ministry. And yet not knowing or understanding what they are teaching. So how do we expect those being taught to have understanding of what they are supposed to know? I mean, it's not just possible. It's not just possible. Praise the Lord. I can't know. You see, the church is expected to grow. It's expected to come to the place of... How many understand? Take, the, take time, I think, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or Jeremiah, the Bible talks about three major things that brings edification. Talks about knowledge and revelation and prophecy. They produce edification. Build the body of Christ. The revelation of God's word comes to a different set of people or a definite set of people. The apostles are prophets. I got the Ephesians chapter 3. And it is your understanding of this revelation that is coming that you establish so that nothing shakes you. You know, we've taught the church to the point that when there is an attack, good, mommy was praying about it. People fall. Why? Because they're not granted in faith. We've taught the church to the point that we feel that nothing can ever happen to a Christian. Is anybody understanding me? But well, that is very wrong. 
temptation must surely come by who? Unto whom? From good temptation to come. Jesus said that. If a righteous man falls seven times, he shall rise again. The scripture said that. But we've come to the place where we made the just feel you just cannot fall at all. Are you still understanding me? So when somebody peradventure falls, you begin to read different meaning. And sometimes the person will never rise again. Because it's a failure on his part. But remember the Bible said the righteous man falls seven times. It is not the wicked man. It is not the sinner. It is the righteous man. So when we see every temptation, like what she said, we talk about the thirtyfold, the sixtyfold, the hundredfold. And the Bible talks about those that the storm will come. Eh? And they will do what? They will collapse. Why? Because they are not grounded in the word of God. With this shallow faith, which is not faith, faith that have no root, no foundation. So every little storm, I don't think God is real. I don't think Jesus is still alive. I don't think anointing is in that place. There is no God in that church. But try the other ones that have given you that shallow feet. You run back. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. God will help us. Now. And one of the most terrible areas of teaching that our present day teachers, surpassers, have ventured into without proper understanding and accurate knowledge is the doctrine of they have ministry, preparing people for heaven and delivering them or warning them against what? Hellfire. Hmm? Everybody wants to teach this. God will help us. We have already established the fact that the word hell to read Gehenna in the Greek which corresponds to the Hebrew word Gehinnom which means the valley of Hinnom or the valley of the sons of Hinnom and we say it's a place that was used for the sacrifice of children to the god Moloch which Josiah eventually stopped and turned into a refuse dump you remember that? Go back to your part 11 and get into it accurately so that you can have this understanding. Praise the living God. So we checked the book of Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 31 and that's 2 Kings 23 verse 10. Can we go to establish those fast from those scriptures? Praise the Lord. Also we said Hades corresponds to Sheol of the Old Testament that is the common grave of mankind. And what gets you out of that, or out of the common grave, is simply what? Resurrection. Praise the Lord. Uh, we read the scripture last week. Can anybody remind us of that scripture? We just make a corresponding. Uh, let me see if you if you try to follow what I'm doing. Can anybody remember, remind us what we read, the particular scriptures we read? That really proves the fact that Hades is the same thing as Sheol. Can anybody remember that? Oh my goodness. Psalm 16. Psalm 16. <laughs> Amen. Try and remember people.
people because these are the things you need. You see, a workman that need them not to be ashamed. These are the things you need. Praise God. Psalm 16. What verse can anybody remind me? Verse what? Verse 10. <laughs> For you will not leave my soul in shield. But King James said the word in hell. Nor will you allow your holy one to see what? Corruption. Shield. Now what's the corresponding scripture? Now. Act chapter. Okay. You're waking up now. Act chapter 2. <laughs> Amen. You just need to know these things. Because they will just help you. When you are talking anyway. They will just help you. Somebody wants to argue, you just open the scriptures and you'll be dumbfounded. Eh? What verse? Can anybody tell us? Are you? 20. That's okay. Go there. Now, you see, Peter was quoting this thing after Pentecost. Okay? Look at what he said. Uh, 27. You read it from verse 26. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover my flesh also will rest in hope. Then verse 27. For you will not leave my soul in hate. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see what corruption. Now he was quoting the same thing in Psalm 16. Did you get that? So in Psalm 16, what you find in Hebrew is what? Sheol. And then in Acts chapter 2.27, what did you find there? Here it is. But you see, in the King James, what you always see is what? Hell. Did you understand it now? Okay. But I say poor application of God's word. Very poor application. I told you that one of the major problems we are having is the translators. Not the inspiration. And it's not everyone that translated the Bible, the new Greek. Especially the New Testament. Hallelujah. So definitely they are going to make a lot of mistakes in their translations. And that is what we find essentially in the King James Version, which is called the Authorized Version. How many of you have been able to understand why it is called Authorized Version? That is what, because it was authorized by King James. That's why they call it the Authorized Version. The other one is called the Revised Version. Do you understand it now? Alright. Why is it authorized? Because King James authorized it. Why did he write it? He didn't know anything about the Bible. I told you that before. He only commissioned some people, so they now call it the authorized version of King James. Then the revised standard version is a revise of the authorized version. So if you take time to read the revised standard version, what you're going to see, you will see hell, you're going to see Hades, the revised standard. What you see there is Hades. Now, I'm just reading from the New King James. I decided to use the New King James tonight. Now, you're, gonna, you're not going to see 
hell in the New King James, what you see is Hades or Gehenna. Or Sheol. Did you see it now? Praise the living God. But you know, find people who say, well, the, the, every other one is wrong. The only correct one is what? King James. Almighty King James is the only correct translation. And so they keep on making a lot of mistakes and teaching their people thousand and one mistakes. Praise the Lord. Okay. So understand this thing. Important. We said what brings you out of Hades is simply what? Resurrection. Man dies and is resurrected. And Hades, more or less, is no more than six feet deep. We take coffin. Hmm? Amen. That is where you find Hades. It's right upon the face of the earth. It's not anywhere else. Unless you want to spiritualize it to mean it part of the spirit. Okay, let's progress tonight. How did Jesus apply the word hell in Mark chapter 9, 42 to 47? Let's quickly turn over there. And this is going to make an interesting reading. Uh, somebody have once questioned me on this passage and thank God we had a very sweet talk that day. That's why I want you to be strong in these things so that you can always have sweet talks with those who ask a question. Able to teach the Bible says. Hallelujah. Starting with verse 42. Okay. 42 to 47. But whosoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, King James said, offend. Offend is like somebody who makes you to be angry. You see, it's too mild. That is not what Jesus was talking about. That is also a problem with the King James. The word offend means to stumble. It means to fall. Whoever causes this little one to offend is not to say the person that makes you to be angry. Amen? Are you there with me? Praise God. So whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it will be better for him if a millstone we hung around his neck and he were drowned into the sea or thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maim rather than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worms does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your food causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maim or lame rather than having to two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worms does not die and the fire is not quenched and if your eye causes you to see pluck it out it is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God I just wanted to know that it's very important but one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their one does not die and the fire is not quenched. Can I do some little words with you? Uh, you, read, you read three major verses or passages now. Uh, three major things causes you to see. One is enter heaven, enter life, enter kingdom. Are they three different things? Amen. Did you notice something there? 
<laughs> Amen. It talks about life. It talks about heaven. It talks about the kingdom. Every one of them is the same thing. It is the same thing. It's just like you talk about the threefold, the sixtyfold, and the hundredfold. If the same person growing in a different dimension, it goes what? It's not three different people. You cannot break at the level of a thirtyfold. You cannot break at the level of a sixtyfold. You can go on to the hundredfold. So we talk about life. We talk about the kingdom. It's all the same thing. Hallelujah. Now listen to what he said. He said, if your eye, if your foot, or if your hand causes you to sin. What is sin there? The first thing he said, if anyone that will cause this little one to stumble, that means it is what will make you fall out of faith. Is it clear? Praise the Lord. Next week I'm going to deal with those three major things The hand, the foot, and the eye We'll break it down Next week But today we just want to do some more study On what Jesus said So that we can find out exactly what it means Okay, now Move back with me Back to your outline Let's look at 43, 44 If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off It is better for you to enter into life maim Rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their one does not die and the fire is not quenched. Good gasoline fire. This place must look like a refinery or somewhere. Now, firstly, we do understand that Jesus was talking to his disciples. I want you to go back today and find the mystery in this thing. Who was Jesus talking with? Who was he talking to? Who was he warning? Let's go down and find out from the scriptures. Let's look at it, verse 33 to 40. You're going to find it there. Go back now. Are you there? 33 to 40. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the... Is it there? Okay, in the house, he asked him. Is that the place I'm looking for? Okay, let's go. Pardon? 33 is okay. Let's just go on with 33. Okay, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But it came silent for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called it 12. Oh, this all I'm looking to it very soon. Um, he called them, called it 12, and said to them, If anyone desire to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever receiveth me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, I don't know how this man came into this kind of discussion. But just listen to it. Teacher or master, we saw someone who does not follow us, casting out demons in your name. And we forbid him because he does not follow us. You know what he's saying? Somebody was casting out devils in your name and does not belong to our church. Are you following this? Okay. So just
just follow this picture very well because you know Jesus was talking to his own disciples and why would Jesus use such a statement for his own disciples they were not sinners he wasn't talking to sinners this issue here is not for sinners <laughs> maybe our mindset will change today when we want to apply this thing I've always told you before that sinners outside they are ignorant, they are blind, they are dead in God's language they can't understand God, so you speak to them they can't understand until God quicken their spirit to understand you are you following this? so the word of God is for his people now, look at the verse 39 but Jesus said do not forbid him for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me for he who is not against us is on our side for whosoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ I surely have said to you he will by no means lose his reward but whosoever causes one listen to this whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble it will be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were drowned or thrown into the sea. Who is Jesus talking to here? His own disciples. What of your face? Now let me explain. Somebody is casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And they just came to him and say, Hey, stop that, stop that. Did you belong to Jesus Christ? If you belong, you should have been among us. You are not among us. Don't do that again. Forbid you. Don't try it. Just play with the name of our ministry. Praise God. Are you following what I'm talking about? Now, what do you think will happen to that man? He will be ashamed. He will be embarrassed. Are you getting what I'm talking about? He will turn away and he will not try it again. His faith has failed. Are you following this now? Now to Jesus, that is a humble brother who is walking in his name. So no matter how mighty you are, you must not allow him to fall out of it. He was simply telling the disciples, you are qualified to have a stone on your neck for stopping them and using my name. Are you following this? God will help us. So that you, 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 you get to understand later that the way we carry on in the church, we are most qualified for this passage. Because our lifestyle, our attitude are a stumbling block to so many people. Praise the living God. I will make you see the kind of sin. I don't know if I put it down. But the sin they were committing was the sin of sectarianism. They were producing a sect. Do you understand that? You can see how mad that thing looks like. You know, you know how Isaiah puts it? The holier than thou attitude. Don't come close to us. We are holy people. That man has simply believed in faith. Jesus is real. But he said, don't come close to us because we are holier than them. Jesus said, you are qualified for a marriage stone. 
Hallelujah. God will help us. Now, read on and see on your outline again. Are you there with me? So, as we find from this verse, we're talking to the disciples. So, what were the offenses that will qualify them for this rebuke and prescription? It is simply that they stop someone casting out devils in his name, and yet is not among them as a disciple. Listen to Jesus. But who, who causes one of these little ones, that it should be little ones, who believe in me to stumble, it will be better for him if a mere stone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And verse 42. Praise the Lord. Now this great millstone is torn by an axe. The tire that Samson was made to turn by the Philistines. And it was a, a Greek or Roman method of punishment and not Jewish. I, I'd like to explain something here. Here was a prescription for punishment. I want to make you understand that you judge John from verse 42 on a millstone, the next thing you is hell. Amen? From verse 43, you begin to see hell. Don't forget it was the same discussion. He hasn't stopped yet. He was still talking to his disciples with whom they were sitting together. He wasn't preaching to unbelievers. Hallelujah. Good. So, as soon as they finish prescribing, if you make somebody to fall, I'm telling you, if you make people to stumble out of faith, it will be better that a millstone be hung on your leg and be thrown into the sea. Like I said, it was a method of punishment for people who commit offense. And it was not a, a method. A Jewish method is thrown into death, according to Moses. But these are like the Roman people, the Greek people, hang this stone on your neck and cast you into the sea. Praise the Lord. So perhaps for an instant he was trying to make them see, you know, the, the terrible nature of the kind of offense they were doing what? Committing. Praise the living God. Amen? Alright, now let's progress. So then, what is all what Jesus was talking about? Let us quickly define a few things. Verse 43. Are you there? Keep your place. Mark 9, verse 43. Look at the Bible. He said, It is better to enter into life maimed. Watch. Jesus did not say, Enter heaven here. But life. Forget about the religious preachers that say, Heaven. Jesus' word is simply what? Life. Now, what is life? What is this life to be very specific? Praise the living God. Are you there? The Greek word is Zoe. And with an article, it speaks of entering a resurrection life or life eternal. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. Once you find an article and that thing speaks of a resurrection life or life eternal as it is applied in that passage. Enter into life man. God help you now, so we're going to explain more of this. But let's progress. 
Hallelujah. Now, if you look at the book of Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, you are going to come across the case of Jairus, whose daughter was sick and even dead. And then, we are, asked, we are told Jesus was invited to come and lay hands on the daughter that she might live again. Let's turn over there. Matthew 9, verse 18. Praise the Lord. While he spake these things to them, behold, a ruler came by Jairus and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, that she will live. It is same things away. Praise the Lord. If she will live, it means she also be raised from the dead. Are you getting the point now? Now Jesus is saying it will be better you enter into this life maimed than you have in two hands. Now does it mean those who enter into God's kingdom should be with one hand? Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. God is going to give us understanding. Let's progress. You find the case of Jairus who came to Jesus saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay your hands on her, and then she shall live, or come to life again, especially to live in the resurrection. That's what it really means. So, what is this resurrection? Because when he said that she might live, or she will live, or she will live again, he's talking about resurrection. So what is this resurrection? Jesus clarified this point to matter. Who told the resurrection has to wait till the last day? You know that in John chapter 11, verse 24. You can turn over there. John 11, 24. When Lazarus was dead, and Jesus came after four days, and you remember the story? All right. And uh, Jesus was trying to make some point, and Martha came up and said, Well, I know he will rise again on the last day. So, to Martha, resurrection has to wait till the last day, which is our common belief of when the trumpet sounds and people come out of the grave. So, he was saying, Lazarus is going to wait until the trumpet sounds, and then he is going to come out from the resurrection, or from the dead, or from among the dead. Do you understand this? Hello. Now, what, what was Jesus saying? What did Jesus tell him? Jesus told him, let's look at verse 25 and 26 of John 11. John 11, 25 and 26. Are you there? Good. Now, if you look at it from, hallelujah, let's take it from 23 so that you can follow what I mean. Jesus said to her, your brother, hallelujah, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. What a smart girl. She has a good knowledge. She will not realize that her knowledge is already old. 
Jesus said to her, I am what? The resurrection and the life. Amen. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's a good question for everyone. Now Jesus is trying to say you don't need to wait or lost or don't need to wait. In me, whoever believes comes into life. Now think about it. What do you think the disciple did to that man that was casting a devil? They killed him. Did you get the picture now? Hello? He already believed in Jesus and they stopped him believing in Jesus. That means that man has already come to life. Did you see it? That man has already come to life. And Jesus says, something is wrong with you. This party spirit you are carrying, PDP and uh, NMPC, or what you call those things, this party spirit will kill you. And it is better for you to get right into the sea. You know what I'm talking about? That is how you cause people. Those who have received life into the into God, they've received faith. By faith they've come into life. Because you see, no man can do anything without faith. Hallelujah. So this man who is casting out devils have already believed in Jesus. Into Jesus, he's already into life. He's already in the kingdom. He's already into heaven. Did you get that? By the way, let me ask this question. Thank you, Father. What do you think if you want to apply verse 42? No, verse 43. Talks about if your hand will cause you to sin. If, assuming you want to apply that to the disciples, what is the hand in that case? They were going to do it in next week. But what is the hand? Can anybody tell me? Can anybody tell me? Huh? Laying on the hands? No. It just, you know, with the attitude of the of the disciples, how can you describe that? You say, if your hand, it is the attitude of the heart. It is the feelings towards those who do not belong to their camp. Are you getting it now? Praise the Lord. Do you understand that? That means the way you think towards people. Because they don't belong to your sect. Are you, are you understanding this? Praise the Lord. And then next week is going to be blown up. So make sure you are studies. Hallelujah. But is God helping us? Are you getting some understanding? Alright. We are not preaching. We are teaching. Amen. So that we know what we are talking about. So we are talking about men will come into resurrection. And so Jesus spoke to this lady who has some wonderful understanding said listen to me I am the last day I am the resurrection if you are in me you are already in the last day the last day is between your old man and your new man that's your last day the last day between when you were doing other things and now you are a new creature all things have passed away. You've resurrected into a new life. You've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And it's your last day.
Somebody said, but he talks about a trumpet. What are you hearing now? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hey, God spoke to Jeremiah. Joel. Hmm? What did he tell him? Sound the trumpets. Lift up your voice. Sound the trumpet in my holy hill. In my Zion. What trumpet are you looking for? Think Jesus wants to take brass instruments and be walking around the street like brass boys? Very soon, you're going to pay him to be drumming for you in your burial ceremony. Praise God. Did you get this? Alright. So, what is he saying? I am the last day, Mary. I mean, matter stop thinking or something like that. Okay. So, he was thinking about his brother coming to resurrection. And so we are the last day. Jesus clarified this point to matter. What thought the resurrection has to wait till the last day? Believe his brother Lazarus that was dead. Who thought the what is it? Dead for this could come alive again. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall live. Hmm? In other words, even if you were dead in sin and trespasses and you believe in Christ, you come alive. Praise the living God. Alright? Are you there? Okay. And whosoever believeth, that is that have come alive in Christ, are you still there? And continues to believe in me, shall never die. Believe thou this. And this is one of the strongest scriptures that makes us believe that there is immortality, if you don't understand. Two people have spoken about here. Hmm? Somebody is dead, you come alive, and you can be done in sin or trespasses, and if you have believed, and continues to believe, you shall never die. He spoke to two categories of people. Somebody said that's okay. That means you will never fall out of faith. Praise God for you. But you could go beyond that if you don't fall out of faith and you are in faith and he lives in life in you. What will happen to you? Hallelujah. So what are we saying? Turn your people. The life Jesus was promising his disciples was not that of the by and by, but the one that can be entered into right here and now in him. Because I am the resurrection and the life. You know, remember, he said it is good for you to have one eye and enter life. Praise the living God. I'm going to explain that next week. But let me say what. What one eye is he talking about? Single eye. Mighty chapter 6 and verse 22. If your eye is single, your whole body shall be full of light. In other words, don't come to the faith. Oh, hallelujah. The next thing is, don't. Oh, no. You know, you know, you know the way James put it? He said, let the double-minded man know he can receive nothing. That's all. So single eye in the kingdom means you are not double-minded. That's all. He's not talking of this bomb, this putty cutting, this thing. He's not talking about this one. Hallelujah. How many of uh, because they wanted to throw Jesus and believe so much in Jesus Christ and uh, they said this my eye is coming into trouble. Now, I actually guess you into trouble. 
it left or right? Left foot or right foot? Which one? People don't take time to study these things. They are not diligent enough. Hallelujah. Amen. I get excited when I read things like this. Especially as they come up and I've never found them elsewhere. I get so excited. Hallelujah. Now, four. This is like, we're still defining this life that anybody can enter into. For this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast what? Saint. This is what he said. You to have one eye to enter into eternal life. How is eternal life? Is Christ. For in him and have our being. In him. That is where you enter into. It is something that is presently real. It wasn't promising something that will come tomorrow. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. John 17 verse 3. Now, look at the way Paul puts it. That's in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 4. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he lived by the power of God. Amen. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. So it is what keeps you alive today. That's what we're talking about. And that's faith. What is impossible in Galatians 2 verse 20? So the life I live in the flesh is not either live by Christ or live it in me. It talks about the faith of the Son of God. I live by the faith of the Son of God. He has power to live their life because they believe in Christ. Praise the Lord. Now, come on, let me tell you this. When he said it is better for you to enter into life maim than to have two eyes, remember I was talking to the apostles. In other words, don't come to this faith until you behave in the way of thinking the way you were thinking before you believe in me. You must remove this your jealousy, this your backbiting spirit from you. You cannot be a dual personality in me. You must be single one whole lump. You can't claim to be believing in me and you are staying very sectarian in your attitude. Are you understanding this? So if you are a Christian and you have those attributes in you, you are qualified for hell. If we must take Jesus serious, I wonder if any Christian can make heaven. Are you still there with me? Because we are all with double eyes and double hands and double feet. Every one of us is double. We are in the church, we are envious. We are in the church, all kinds of things. These are the things. It is just attitude. And somebody wants to preach a big sermon on this and they emphasize the hell. And himself is suffering from the same thing that qualifies people there. Check them out. Hallelujah. Are you still here? In Revelation 1:18, Jesus said the same thing. He said, Though I was dead, yeah, I'm alive again forevermore. Amen. So it's not a matter of tomorrow. Their life is not a tomorrow's life. Praise the living God. 
So what he was talking about was that the offense will procure for you a millstone punishment, which is verse 42, or eternal life in him for your faith in him. That is just it. Praise the living God. Amen. Now, what are the things that causes or cause the offense? Those things that could cause such an offense. Let's look at it briefly. Before answering this question, let us also consider the common belief of this passage. I think it's important, isn't it? It said, And if the hand offend thee, cut it off. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. And if thy eye offend thee, cut it off. Or else you go to hellfire, that shall not be quenched. The first observation I would like us to have here is that both the hand, foot, and eye are all in the verses with the unquenchable fire of hell. Did you see that? You see, if your eye will cause you to offend, cut it off. It's better you enter into life, maim, than to enter into hell, fire which are not be quenched. Hmm? Where there one died not. Is it clear to us? They are all in the same verse. The eye and the quenchable, unquenchable fire, they are in the same verse. Is it clear? Alright. I know I'm saying what I'm saying now because I have a question. Praise the living God. And so if the fire is going to be literal, later on, then once you expect that the hand, foot, and eye should have been what? Lifra, literally cut off to prevent one from going there. For it to be wrong for us to believe that the A part to be symbolic, while the B part is for the, I mean, on the same verse of scripture, is to be what? Literal. Listen to what I'm saying. What I was taught and what 80% of Christians still preach. Is that this hell is literal, literal fire. Now, the A part of this verse talks about hand. If the B part, which is hell, is literal, I expect the A part to be what? Literal. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Okay. Now, if you say the A part is not literal, how literal is the B part of the same verse of scripture? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's important we try to find out this. Because commonly I do know that the teaching says it's talking of the members of your household. That means they symbolize it. Or they spiritualize it. You don't know how they teach it. Okay, so if he's a member of our household, so we should separate from sinners, then why wouldn't you see her to be also symbolic? Because it's a verse. So if hell is literal, my recommendation is every Christian should get somebody to be helping them to cut off their hand and their foot and their eyes. 
only way we can believe this the way it is being taught. And as long as we will not practice it that way, then we must yeah, the be part of this verse. Are you still with me? Praise the Lord. Because I've never seen any Christian in the street finding with one eye. Say, brother, what happened to you? Say, oh, no, 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 that eye will be costly. <laughs> I just decided to go to the doctor and say, remove this eye. The unfortunate thing is this, you are going to remove the other one very soon. You understand that? You are still going to remove it. What, what people do not even understand is it, it is not only eye and hand and foot that makes you sin. What about your mouth? The scripture says, He will breathe through his mouth. I don't know if you understand what He said, The mouth and the tongue is like a small fire, like a, and he called it the fire of hell. Nobody talks about the man. What about the nose? It is you smell. You perfume and all kind of things. What about your ear? Why is it that it's only the eye, the hand, and the foot? That makes you understand that the teacher do not really know what they are teaching. They don't know. They desire to be teachers. But do not understand what they are teaching. Next week you understand your eye and your and the food that is making you to see. You understand this next week. And some of you get ready with matches to cut off. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Beautiful things. Okay. And now we do know that no one has literally cut off either hand or foot because he or she wants to take Jesus very serious. I'm sure nobody have done that. Now, the next thing we are told is that the hand, foot, and eye means either members of your family or friends that will corrupt your spiritual life. So Jesus is saying, separate yourselves. Now, that itself is a good interpretation. And that will also mean that the word hand, foot, and eye have been spiritualized. So why should the word unquenchable retain its literal meaning? Did you follow what I said? Why should it? If you have taken time to spiritualize the hand and foot and another, your hand is your members, your family, you know, maybe it's your boyfriend or boyfriend, or the cigarette you are smoking, or all those are members separate. And that's the way I was taught. Amen. So, by implication, you are spirit, because Jesus did not say members of your family, say your hand. It is you that say it is a member of your family, so it is you that spiritualize it. Now, if you have taken time to spiritualize those parts, you should be able to spiritualize the unquenchable fire or find the true meaning to it. Is anybody understanding me? I think this is why I'm a little bit controversial in my teachings. I don't want to take things the way they are. Let us see what God has to say about these things. We must understand that most times when Jesus speaks, he only speaks in parables. His language is a very spiritual. It will take spiritual understanding to get what Jesus was talking about. Remember, anytime the apostles will come to him, so why do you teach these people in parables? He said, For you it is given. To them it is not given to know the mystery of the kingdom. He will now start interpreting to them. He talked about the parable of the wheat and tars. How that a good man sowed his seed and the enemy came and threw tars among the wheat. Hallelujah. They could not understand. He taught that to everybody. 
that even his own disciples did not understand, or they took them in and interpreted the whole thing to them. The seed is the world, the good man is the son of man, the bad seed is the devil. The place, the world, has a field, is the world. He interpreted it to his own disciples. Is he until you actually a disciple of Jesus, you can't understand him. Hallelujah. I remember a time they were talking about a little while in the book of John, I think John 16 or 17. A little while see me no more, a little while see me. And they were troubled and they were talking. And they just said, What are you talking about this little wild thing? Through the spirit of discernment, he was able to pick what was in their heart. What is it they are talking about? By a little while. Why is this trouble all over? Hmm? He launched into a parable immediately. A woman, when she is in travail, have you read that scripture before? All right, we groan and labor. He said, "By the time comes when she delivers the main child, her joy no man taken from her." I mean, I would have expected Jesus to interpret the little why. Why bring in another parable to confuse the people the more? That is the way he teaches. So it's going to take you some spirits. That's what it says. Here to here, let them hear. It is not this butterfly thing that is hanging on our head that is here. Praise the Lord. Are we still here? <laughs> Again, every human being has two hands, two foot and two eyes. So what did Jesus mean by saying only one out of these two can cause you to sin? Why would Jesus say that? Hallelujah. Very important. Very important. We don't think. As long as the preacher is preaching, oh, oh, oh. Great man of God. Everything he says, correct. Because at the end of the day, he'll just tell you, just hold on to your television. I'm going to pray for you. After the message, I'm going to pray for you. And things will change. The year is not true. And then everything he tells you is true because you are waiting for things to change. God will help us. Hallelujah. I don't know. We are really, I don't know. Let me not use words that will because you are saints of God. God help me not to use words to speak against his own body. But I think God how to help us to come out of this foolishness. Hallelujah. We just take anything, anything, because there are some promises attached to it. Anybody who wants to preach on TV will first tell you, he's going to pray for you after the message. Tell me where the service is already going on and you're on television. Which service? The one you did some three days ago? And at the answer, okay, look at me and I want to pray for you. And you have received some things that cannot enable you to live. Hallelujah. Last moment. Is it the right or the fruit? Again, we must find out. 
What kind of sin was Jesus actually talking about? We cannot know why these, our members, can cause us to sin until we know the nature of offenses that they cause. I mean, make us to sin or the kind of sin until we find out the causes that they can produce. Or why they produce the causes they produce. We just need to find out. What does your eye really do that makes you to sin? What does your hand do that makes you to sin? What about your foot? Let me give you an assignment. Read. Is it Matthew 22? Take time to read that before you come to studies next week. We're going to find a parable of the Lord's Supper. The King's Supper. That made for the son. And there was a man that came in there without clothes. And the recommendation was bind him hands and foot and cast him into outer darkness. What did he say? Bind hand and foot. You see, follow the language of Jesus. He didn't just say bind him, he said bind him hands and foot and cast him out. And I'll add, blind him too. Hallelujah. Let's read that. Let's speak. Try and meditate and find out why Jesus said that. And why was recommendation targeted to the hands and the foot. It's going to help you tomorrow. I mean, when we're going to study. Amen. Praise the Lord. There's a need for you to follow the language of Jesus. Now, let's go here. And so we read, and if your hand puts a stumbling block before you and causes you to sin, cut it off. That's from the Amplified, verse 43 of Mark chapter 9. The Living Bible says, or Philip's translation, Indeed, it is your own hand that spoils your faith. You must cut it off. Note it. If it is your own hand that spoils your faith, cut it off. I just like this translation. So you see, we can clearly now why he was addressing the disciples. The way you see people and the way you relate with people in your heart can cause you to see. Are you following this now? I, I want to remind you, he wasn't talking to unbelievers. He was talking to his own disciples. So there is something that you can do cause your own faith to fail. So by beginning I was saying, you're already in the kingdom with me, but anything that will make you stumble, remove it. It is better you stay with me with a single eye, believing God for everything, than having a double mind and still walking with me. If you choose that, I recommend her to remove the other part so that you can live with a single eye. So it wasn't recommended it for unbelievers, it was recommended it for his own people. Hello, church. Is anybody following me closely? Now, we cannot only understand this until we trust 
on it. We try to see why he said this to the disciples in verse 43. That we can understand this until we try to see why. Let's try to find out why he said this in verse 43. Again, we'll read there. Of Mark 9, 43. And I tell you too that the man who disturbs the fate of one of the humblest of those who believe in me, who will be better if is thrown into the sea with a great millstone hung around his neck. Not those two things. You can distrust people's faith or you disturb your own faith. Praise the Lord. Are you, you can either disturb people's faith or you disturb what? Your own faith. But either way, the best thing for you. Now listen to this. I'm serious again a little bit better now. For him, when you disturb people's faith, it will be better you were drawn in me. If you try to disturb your own faith, you go to hell. Are you trying to go to hell then? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Are you getting this? Amen? Is anybody understanding? Good. Now, I just like this translation. The key word I love in this last passage is when you disturb faith. Because that is what they did to that man that was casting out the devils. Did you get it now? So there is a way you act, you disturb people's faith. And there is a way you act, you also disturb your own faith. So, whichever way you are qualified for hell. So, the issue is faith disturbance. Hallelujah. You see what we take it to hell? It is not stealing people's money. <laughs> Glory to God. These people did not steal. Did they steal? They steal any property. They didn't even slap anybody. Are you are you still following what I'm talking about? In fact, they did not even insult in the language we use. They didn't say you are mad, you are stupid. They simply said, Stop this because you don't belong to us. That's all. Hallelujah. If you disturb people's faith, hmm, you are qualified for hell. And if you live and disturb your own faith, you will still go there. Who is free in this matter? Forget about this evangelism on television. We are all in trouble. We should set our hearts. How do we think? How do we assess people? Hallelujah. How do we assess people? How do we respond to people? How do we treat them? We should think. All of our quick fire message, we need, we need to seek 
Oh. And find out whether we're actually preaching to ourselves, actually preaching to somebody else. Even there is a way you preach this hellfire message, you deserve people's hearts. And you are qualified for what they are preaching to them. No wonder he told the Pharisees, you are going there. Can you remember? He said that. Hallelujah. Are you enjoying this? <laughs> Amen. Now, let's move on. Remember the offense the disciples committed. They stopped someone from casting out devils in the name of Jesus simply because to them, he is not among them. So what offended Jesus? They were practicing what? Sectarianism. Amen? So you see, the issue is a Christian attitude. And these are what? The foot, hand, and eye does what? Represent. Which I'm going to find out last week. Then we're just trying to pray some separation. You don't belong to us. Well, I'm not saying what I'm about to say now. I subscribe to everything, but there was a question that we asked on the radio today. I meant to understand whether they wanted to preach, they want to do crusade and pray for the peace of the community and things like that. I can't remember, but something is about to happen. And the Celestial Church people made their contribution. And after a while, they refund the money to them. Now, we don't see you people as Christians. That is, can refund the money. And somebody was asking the question, how do we determine who is a Christian? While they were preaching the other time, when there was trouble in Ogbe, Ogbe I mean, at the stadium, Senatia people were there. Khan did not tell them to go. How come now it is not that there is peace? That... <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. In the same spirit. Did you hear what I said? It's just what? The same spirit. Who is free from this matter? Just tell me, who is free from this matter? Amen. Is anybody following what I'm saying? Before we pointing accusing fingers who is free because you can't disturb somebody's faith or you disturb your own faith if you are free from disturbing somebody's else's faith what about your own are you free from it anything you do that causes your faith to stumble that is what Jesus is addressing And we just lift verse 43 to 47 out and make a sermon out of it. Without finding out why Jesus said what he said. Praise the living God. Amen. <laughs> Look at the disciples. They were followers of Christ, right? But they were envious, jealous, and segregational towards all those who do not carry their label in their thinking 
And that is what can qualify a man for either hell fire or to be drowned in the sea with a millstone. Is it simple? Amen? Yes. No, 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 no. Oh, thank you, Father. You see, when you go back to where we read, they actually committed two offenses. In fact, one was a disturbance of some other person's faith, and another was their own faith. Let me explain the one that was their own faith. Before Jesus launched into this matter, they first started saying, who should be the greatest man? Can you see that? That is between them, they were envious of themselves. And see, know you. <laughs> now, me first call George. I, I get what I'm talking about. You are just a new convert. I is it that they are making you a dicky? Did you get the picture? Jesus said, These are your offenses. This is your own faith. You are troubled. You can't see that man as your own brother. You see him as somebody who's coming to take your chances. And yet you are preaching the same gospel. You won't say it, but Jesus knows. Did you get it now? Now when that was not enough, Jesus had not even finished answering them. John launched out. He wants to prove that he's a super. You see, I now see why John said what he said. He wanted to be the first man. Come on. Did you follow what I said there? Because you see, they were just coming and all the way, okay, would you be the first? And Jesus said, if you want to be the first, you have to be the last. If you want to be the head, you have to be a servant. Jesus has not just finished saying that. Jesus, I mean, John just came in. Master, I saw somebody. He was casting a devil in your name and it does not be. I stopped him. And Jesus said, yeah, you should be the first man. <laughs> That's what he was looking for. What prompted it? That is what he was looking for. That is why when you read the Bible, allow the Holy Spirit to interpret certain things to you. Are you getting that? He was still looking for the same thing Jesus was rebuking them for. He was trying to bring some qualifications. Why if ordinarily it had to be a servant and already doing a good job? Did you get that? And Jesus knows the thought from their heart. And he said, listen, listen, listen. Now for saying that, you are already in trouble. <laughs> Can you remember the man that came to David and said, I came from there, I'm sore. You remember that? Say, your mouth have done what? Condemn you. In the same spirit. In the same spirit. You see, how do we call this Abroko? We will die doing it. Praise the living God. God will help his church. Alright. So, that is the problem with these people. Now, in other words, any attitude you carry that can turn off someone from the faith, such like causing him or her serious public embarrassment, also put off fellowship, or regretting for being a Christian at all, or acting in such a manner even in dressing, which is a very serious, unethical Christian, that is Christian-wise, for people to copy, the word says you are qualified for what? For hell. 
Is it clear? And when you dress, you are causing somebody to stumble. Let me explain that. Turn very quickly to First Corinthians chapter eight. We don't. When you say this thing, they say, ah, you are trying to beat you. We are living in a free war. Someone the other day said, ah, Pastor, but you see, we, we are in a free war. We, we, we have the freedom of Christ. As the freedom of Christ, not a license to see. This is St. Paul with all the knowledge he had in the world. Praise God. First Corinthians chapter 8. Let me read from this one. Amen. And then I'll get down. Verse 1. Now concerning things of our idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffed up, but love does what? Edifies. Now go down to verse. Uh, okay, glory. The thing is there for me. Ah, oh, my, my, my. Verse 8. Are you there? But food does not commend us to God. For either we eat, are we the better? Not if we do not, are we the worse? But beware, because you think you have knowledge. Beware lest someone, I mean somehow, this liberty of yours become what? Come on, come on, become what? A stumbling block to those who are 